Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode six of our game, a podcast brought to you by and we are coming to you live this evening from Johannesburg, South Africa and Manchester, England. I am here with my younger brother Otlotleng after a very long time and uh, we're excited to get going again with this podcast. Otlotleng, how are you doing there, my guy? I'm doing well, man. Um, enjoying what little Manchester sun there is. Um, so I'm trying to be grateful for that. Um, and in between that, yeah, just trying to get by day by day and you know, stay positive and, and, and hope that you know things get resolved around the world as soon as possible. Definitely, definitely. Well, we've got a action-packed episode um, this, this 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 evening, and um, you know, before we get started, we obviously want to just uh, send our thoughts out to um, all the friends and families who have been affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, our podcast started originally um, during the pandemic, and uh, it, 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 it still is holding its clutches onto onto this beautiful earth. Um, so yeah, our thoughts go out to, to, to all those who have been affected. Indeed, man. Um, so let's do our best to take people's minds of things uh, from a tough work day, a tough study day, or whatever you guys get up to uh, day to day. Um, I know our lives can be a bit hectic as well. So on that end, yeah, let's get into it. Great, great, great. So we've got quite an exciting episode today, my guy. Um, we're obviously going to go a little bit back um, to the 1920 season, which feels like it ended just yesterday, even though you know, most of the, the, the European leagues have already started the 2021 season. Um, we're gonna we're gonna discuss Bayern Munich um, and their historic treble in in what was the longest uh, uh, footballing season ever. <laughs> um, we're also gonna discuss some of the winners and losers of the current transfer window, um, and then we've got yeah an exciting topic to discuss um, for a player that everyone loves. Uh, the Messi saga with FC Barcelona. Yeah, sounds good, man. As someone who is a neutral when it comes to Bayern Munich and everything, I actually got so much joy watching them, watching them play um, and watching them enjoy themselves on the, on the, on the field, and especially you know, beyond even a sneaky 8-2 victory over Barcelona. Um, even when they had to tap it out in the final or you know, and that's to top it out as well in the semi-final against Lyon. You could see that they were committed, stuck to their top, stuck to their task, but also enjoyed, you know, what, what they were doing, no matter how easy or how difficult it was. Definitely, man. And um, you know, we speak about easy and difficult, and I think a lot of people often say that, you know, and it's, it's true to varying extents that the the Bundesliga is, you know, walk in the park for for Bayern Munich. But the reality is. Um, you know, you, you you see how hard the players work in the league as well as in the UEFA Champions League. And I must give credit to Bayern Munich because they had quite a challenging season, you know, before the lockdown um, in, in, in the Bundesliga. But their Champions League form was phenomenal. And I think it would be unfair, you know, not to focus our conversation now on, on their Champions League. We'll get into that 8-2 victory just now, but... It must be remembered that Bayern Munich's record from the group stage up until the final was just absolutely phenomenal. They were unbeaten this season. They had uh, 
amazing roster and, and an incredible squad. Um, you know, uh, Robert Lewandowski firing on all cylinders. And like you said, they were just really, really fun to watch. Yeah, fun to watch on both sides of the ball. I mean, you saw, I mean, in the final was the best example of it, but it was great to see Manuel Neuer get back to his best form, the form that we saw in the middle of the last decade. Um, and, you know, be back in the shot of, you know, one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Um, it was great to see, you know, non-defending or non-specialist non defenders defend, you know, players like David Alaba, uh, uh, Alfonso Davies, the young the youngster who's honestly lit up the entire football world with his form. It was beautiful to see them in that fine high that high line of Bayern's back four and play incredible football on both sides of the ball. See see Joshua Kimmich um, pop up for goals on a few occasions as well and honestly play like the best in his position. Um, and honestly, man, like if I must say, Bayern have uh, beyond an incredible roster, they're at least their first eleven to. 14, 15 players, all of them can have a have a you know a, a shout to be called one of if not the best player in their position at least in current form by winning you know 29 of the last 30 games in all competitions before and after lockdown um, and beyond that as well um, you know winning in total across the season across 52 games they won 43 of those games across the DFB Pokal across the Bundesliga, of course, across the Champions League. They're the first team of all time to win all of their Champions League games from start to finish. And they scored 100 goals in the Bundesliga and 43 Bundesliga. goals games in the Champions League. You know, the 8-2 result aside against Barcelona, they also smashed uh, Tottenham Hotspur during the Niko Kovac era. They smashed them 7-2 mm. in London. They smashed Red, Red Star Belgrade. Uh, 6-0 in Belgrade and they smashed Chelsea home and away, you know, 3-0 and 4-1 to win 7-1 aggregate. So mm. we really did see, honestly, the best Bayern side I've ever seen. Like, yes, they've won the treble twice in the last 10 years and, you know, kudos to the 2013 version. But I think this version of the Bayern team, seeing some of those 2013 veterans coupled with, you know, the, the freshness of a Kingsley Coman and the 20-goal mm. Serge Nabry, and of course, um, everyone's Ballon d'Or for the season, if it did exist, um, mm. Robert Lewandowski score 55 goals in all competitions. I really, I can't say anything negative about the spy inside other than, you know, you guys didn't score enough. <laughs> <laughs> de de definitely, you know, you, you name some of the players on, on, on their roster and you, you can see the type of football that they were playing as late as the Champions League. I think that second leg game against Chelsea um, was probably the only second leg where we had to sit a few months between the first and second leg, not knowing what the scores were going to be. I remember as a Juve fan, we had this knife edge second leg, you know, with the 1-0 loss to, to Lyon. But the Bayern Munich game, we already knew that this is, uh, you know, a foregone conclusion with, with Chelsea. Um, but, you know, you look at the team that they have, uh, the depth chart that, that this team has, and although, you know, Paris Saint-Germain put up a, a genuine fight in the final, um, I think it was always going to be a victory. But whilst the final was, you know, their, 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 their night for lifting a trophy, 
there was another night uh, <laughs> which uh, many of our friends and, and fans on our game probably uh, you know would want to forget sooner than later which uh, was the 8-2 90 minute game against FC Barcelona yeah man I mean it is Barca's biggest loss um, in a one-off game since 1951 um, and you know again you know we'll get to the negatives of that for Barcelona soon but that was where we mm-hmm. saw the best of Bayern it was brilliant to see you know a player like Ivan Perisic who throughout the season was in and out of the starting lineup contribute so effectively it was brilliant to see uh, Thomas Muller again a player who started the season on the fringes with maybe even with a, a transfer equation above his, above his head you know come back and prove in that game like and of course before and after again and again but I think that game was really the crowning moment of Bayern's season yes they won two more games beyond that to crown their treble but that was the game which really sealed you know all of the the positives that we had in our minds about Bayern and of course mm-hmm. on the coach um, Hansi Flick who only came in, in who only came in, in the beginning of November um, mm-hmm. and didn't do much to transform the team. It's not like Bayern, you know, changed formation or changed everything from top to bottom. He just doubled, redoubled upon what, you know, the 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 positive characteristics of the team were um, and made everybody, and I mean everybody, feel important from, you know, a player coming back from an ACL tear like Niklas Sula to an Ivan Perilic who was fighting to 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 uh, secure a permanent deal at Bayern to, of course, the players like the veterans, you know, like uh, Boateng, Emmanuel Neuer and Robert Lewandowski. Mm. So this was a this was a complete performance by a very, very, very complete team and a very complete mm. football institution from top to bottom, from playing staff to, you know, management staff and directorship at the top, you know. And it's got, mm. this is a club that I will always respect because it has football people in charge. Not to slight any clubs which don't, but you know, it is this. It's it's a culmination of you know an institution that has been at the top for you know for decades and you know doesn't seem to have any way of loosening its grip at the top of the German or the or the or the world game because despite not having won a Champions League for so long, Bayern have always been there or thereabouts, be it in the semi-final or. A, a close run quarterfinal. They've always been a favourite for a Champions League in the last ten or so mm. years. Starting with definitely starting with the last you know ten years prior when they lost in the treble potential season, and now ten years later they won. Definitely, it. definitely, man. And I mean, I think also not to sound as though they only won because of this reason, but the the one leg knockout that was imposed by you know this rushed. Uh, final finale to the Champions League season really suit suited this this Bayern Munich and um, you know you 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 saw players playing finals every single game and if you look at how how Barcelona stacked their their midfield and their team up for that match um, you know they were playing like they would would have accepted a draw yes they scored two goals uh, you know of course Alaba scored that one goal right at the beginning of the match but Bayern Munich were relentless, even when they were, 
you know, 4-2, 5-2, 6-2 up. They were still trying to score goals. We still saw, um, you know, a Serge Gnabry, who a lot of Premier League fans will will, will remember, um, you know, from his days at Arsenal and, you know, West Bromwich, Albion. Many people probably thought that, you know, two years ago he was going to be a forgotten footballer. But he fit right into this absolutely astonishing Bayern Munich team. And uh, like you always say, they... They, they, they deserve their flowers uh, just the way that they they, they set up for this game um, playing very very attractive um, and attacking football uh, you know you look at their defense David Alaba is not a center back but you know he put in, he put an incredible shift with with you know a Boateng who many would say is, is past his prime and of course you know I think one of the players of the season for me, Thiago Alcantara, who is now subject to a move to Man United or, or, or Liverpool, you really got to understand how this team has been set up for success. And like you say, I don't think um, they're showing any signs of slowing down. Yeah, I mean, with the signing of uh, Leroy Sané, you would really be foolish to think that they will slow down. They have a young core. Um, beyond their veteran players that can continue to take them into this next decade. Um, mm. Yeah, and you know, that's not to say that they will win the next 10 Bundesligas, like it may seem so. They will always be mm. here or thereabouts. And yeah, kudos to them. No, definitely. Well, congrats to the Champions League winning team of the 1920 season. And within a matter of uh, days after that Champions League was won, we opened up the transfer season um, it's still ongoing and you know uh, the Premier League is now preparing for its second match day in the interim and uh, I think we've already seen in a very short space of time uh, institutions leagues and teams that uh, are showing signs of, of winning this transfer league and uh, teams and institutions that are showing signs of losing this this transfer league and uh, I think if we could probably take three winners and three losers this uh, transfer season so far uh, if we start with the winners uh, what do you think of my nomination for Chelsea? I can't argue man um, Chelsea have been everyone's you know so-called as you say winner but they've been on the tip of everyone's tongue since the start of the transfer session, maybe even before with the signing of Hakim Ziyech. Um, but yeah, with the signing of Ziyech, you know, Werner, uh, Kai Havertz, of course, for a really, really hefty figure. Um, but mm. of course, we did mention episode 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 five that he is a potential future Ballon d'Or winner. So, you know, I'm sure that would eventually pay itself off down the line. Um, mm. And of course, the signing of Ben Chilwell, and my favorite signing of theirs, actually, beyond a few I've mentioned, is uh, uh, Thiago Silva, the ex PSG captain. Um, mm. you know, at the age of 35, 36, I think many had thought that he's beyond his, beyond his best, but that's where Chelsea were weakest this last season. They conceded over 50 goals in the Premier League in the 1920 mm. season. We've mentioned how they lost 7 1 on aggregate to Bayern Munich across two legs. Um, you know, defense was their weak point. They didn't really struggle to score goals. Um, they now have an exciting team with uh, a still a still world class anchor centre back 
to lead them um, into this next season to bring not only experience mm-hmm. but a technique and a know-how of the game that you know many of his of his peers even in the Premier League still would struggle to match. Um, this is a Thiago Silva that is still regarded at his age as one of the best in the world, and you know it's it's not a a transfer of a veteran signing, and you know we just hope for the best and just roll back the years a few times. No, Thiago Silva will be the best defender. I said it with my chest. He will be the best Chelsea defender um, on the roster, maybe along with Mr. Consistent as as Pili Queta. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, I mean. I have to say him and the, the Kai Havertz signing are the two most exciting for me um, in terms mm. of what they bring to the club on the field. But off the field, Mukatli, I think Chelsea, um, you know, have been able to take advantage of quite a few factors. You know, can you elaborate on that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you, you, you use Kai Havertz as an example, but quickly going back to Thiago Silva, his experience um, that he brings from not only PSG but AC Milan as well he's a player who's just used to winning trophies and a lot of the transfers that Chelsea have made have been you know very young players players who have been you know come from you know uh, leagues that 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 would some would say are not as 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 competitive as as the Premier League um you know but the Kai Havertz transfer for me off the pitch was probably a reflection of where Chelsea are right now. They have a very inexperienced um, manager in Frank Lampard, but he's already a household name that any football fan knows around the world. And their ability to attract a player like Harvard, whilst still to some extent um, being a you know a club under a bit of a revolution, um, shows that they have a project, uh, they have an idea, they have money um, and, 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 and they have ambition and it's attractive for any player you know, of, of Kai Havertz's ilk but you also have people in the background who um, are making these, these, these transfers happen and who are, who are building this Chelsea structure around the very well-known Frank Lampard. We obviously have you know, a cash or oil-rich club in um, uh, Roman Abramovich. But, you know, we have a very powerful female uh, director of sport uh, in, in Marina Granovskaya. And many people probably don't know the name, but, you know, she's famed for a lot of the sponsorship work that uh, Chelsea has experienced over the last 18 months. And uh, she sort of steadied the ship economically for them whilst... Bromovich spends the money and you know obviously the look and feel of a Frank Lampard with that kind of foundation is attractive for the players that you've mentioned and I think it's tough to say that these are the kind of players that will you know win the Premier League we, we still have guys like Liverpool and, and Manchester City who would have a say in that conversation but I think they're a lot stronger than they were you know 12 months ago and they've still managed to give space and respect to some of the other players who who did well at the season last year um, at the club last year like Mason Mount and, and, and those kind of players so I think that they are a standout winner in looking at the winners and losers of, of uh, the transfers I I don't know if I can add any more to, to, to that 
uh, maybe we can move on to the next winner. Yeah, uh, we can move on. Just one more take is that they've also been able to let go of expensive uh, uh, or expensively waged um, veterans, you know, in Willian and Pedro, um, who some would say are past their best. You know, Willian's performance against Fulham uh, for Arsenal might might be a nice argument point against what I just said. But, you know, beyond that, they've been able to pay for these uh, expensive players, but also reduce the wage bill quite considerably. Um, and mm. on, in terms of in terms of new 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 wages being spent on, on, on players, we're looking at Thiago Silva as the most or as the most expensive expenditure um, in that regard. You know, these are young players, Havertz, Werner, uh, Ziyech, and even Chilwell, who doesn't have much Premier League experience. They won't come on such high wages. Um, and their wages will probably be tied to how the team performs um, and how they performs as well, perform as well um, in, the, in, the coming, in the coming years, short and medium term. Um, so, yeah, I think Chelsea are much better placed than they were a year or two ago, after, just as the transfer ban was, you know, had become uh, a feature of their, their identity, I think with these huge transfers everybody's forgotten about that and they they seem to be such a fresh environment such a fresh club and a fresh project so yeah a lot to a lot to be excited about um our next our next winner um of the entire transfer uh session so far um stays in the premier league we're going to talk about carl ancelotti's everton Mm, definitely yeah man i mean i i Know, noted their their one 0 opening day win against Spurs, um, mm. and you know we did see all three of their of their new players, um, new midfielders, uh, James Rodriguez, Abdoulaye Ducouré, as well as uh, Alan. Alan. You know, we saw them all make their debuts and make a clean a clean debut. You know, you know we had mm. James Rodriguez cutting onto his left foot. We had Alan breaking up the play. Uh, same, same, same could be said of Ducure. That's an area where Everton really struggled last season. They came 12th in the Premier League, um, and even after Ancelotti's arrival, they hadn't really improved result-wise. Yes, the style of oh, the quality of their play definitely improved, but I think with these three signings, these are all players who bring either in Hamas's perspective or in Hamas's case, um, you know, he brings undoubtable talent. Undoubted talent. He brings star star quality. Um, mm. Alan brings an incredible amount of tactical um, and football know-how. You know, he mm. and steel and steel as well, and of course resilience. You know, he was famed in Serie A when he played for Napoli. He was famous for being able to run and run and run. For he was famous for his stamina. He was also famous for winning the ball back. You know, similar. Similar amount of times to a player like Golo Kante at Chelsea, um, so yeah, it was it was brilliant to see them be so effective against what is a very very strong Tottenham side under Mourinho and limit them to a few a few chances, but also you know force them to to play it long because going through that midfield um, well, it was a bit tough, especially when it comes to losing the ball in dangerous areas. So already after one game, we see the sort of style of play. Everton uh, would be keen to uh, keen to employ. Do you think that they can get a European European spot, top seven? I think they should get a European spot. Um, I think there's a lot of optimism um, around the Everton camp. Uh, I think they're already quite confident that 
you know, um, the derby with Liverpool will probably be a lot more competitive, uh, you know, with, with a settled Carlo Ancelotti um, and, you know, a much more meatier midfield and squad as a whole. And, you know, I've always known Everton to be a no-nonsense club. They have not necessarily been a club that you see in the top four every season or, you know, sometimes even the top ten. But they, they're they a constant. Um, they're a Premier League club. Uh, you know, they obviously have their, their constraints that other clubs don't have to, you know, to, to be concerned about. But, you know, I look at the the um, the slogan, the Everton slogan. It's, it's a Latin slogan, nil satis nisi optimum, which means nothing but the best is good enough. And, you know, you sometimes get that from this Everton team, even though they don't have, you know, the kind of squad depth that, you know, get them through... A, you know, Premier League season, you know, European spot at the end of a Premier League season. But I think if we're looking at their victory in this transfer season, I don't think any serious Everton fan could have asked for more. And will they find themselves in a European spot? They definitely are more competitive than they were now. But um, some would say so is the rest of the Premier League. And uh, it just depends how Ancelotti, a very experienced, well-known, one of the best coaches in the world, just depends how he puts the team together um, and allows the team to maintain the motivation that they've started off the season with. And I think a win against Tottenham Hotspur is, is always a great victory by any account. So credit to them and credit to the, the ability to start the transfer season the way they did. Yeah, correct, man. Maybe they can even pull off one or two more additional signings. There's still some time left. And our final winner, Mkhatle, can you introduce them, please? Yes, of course. Um, this is a winner for, for the transfers and definitely a winner for you uh, on the other end of this call. Um, and guests, as I reminded you at the beginning of the call, this is a Zoom call. So uh, we're not standing here face to face, but I have no doubt that my brother's grinning sitting there in Manchester uh, with this next and final winner. It was a unanimous decision purely because of the kind of football that they found themselves playing last season. Um, They could have been Serie A winner. Um, They got really, really close to winning the Europa League and were unfortunate not to lift that trophy against Sevilla. But uh, I consider Inter Milan to be our third winner. I think one of the biggest transfers for me uh, <laughs> with the playing for uh, Inter Milan this transfer season was Antonio Conte. Uh, their ability not to let him go was probably a big transfer because as much as we look at a lot of clubs, um, you know, with all the players that they've, they've brought in, using Chelsea as an example, we forget that with such a short transfer period, such a short holiday break um, and such a quick start to the new season the biggest stability actually comes from the management and not from the players that are bought or sold and I think we probably discussed it not longer than a month ago where Antonio Conte was really really close to leaving the club um, their ability to to keep him in the club like I said is almost like a new transfer but the kind of Inter Milan that we look forward to seeing this season is already one that is highly, highly exciting. 
They have locked in a player who I believe is probably the best right back in the world um, in Hakimi, the uh, Real Madrid youth product. And, you know, they continue to uh, seek to bring in fantastic and experienced players. I think Arturo Vidal will be part of the club in the next 72 hours or so. And, um, uh, you know, other fantastic uh, uh, wing play, football playing uh, uh, defenders, um, like Alexander Kolarov, who, who will don the Inter Milan kit next season. And I think the owners of, of Inter Milan, the Suning group, have managed to maintain this almost wobbly ship that uh, we saw in Inter Milan at the beginning of August. And I just feel like they're now a completely transfer, uh, a, a new club ready for a new Italian season. Yeah, man, I have to agree. Although I know many people would contend with your chat as Ashraf Hakimi. For Ashraf Hakimi as the best right back in the world, Trent Alexander-Arnold has something to say, as does George Kimmich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I, I, as much as I'm a Juventus fan, I'm a Serie R fan as well. And it's very difficult for me not to mention Hakimi because he is probably one of the best young, young right backs in the world. But I know that I'll put myself in trouble, especially with Liverpool fans, yeah. when you look at Trent Alexander-Arnold. <laughs> uh, but yeah, beyond that, I mean, Ashraf and Trent, whenever we talk about top right backs, both are always in the conversation. Um, so, you know, we, we closed the Hakimi deal pretty early, I think, just as the Serie A season restarted um, in July. And, you know, I was extremely content with the deal because, you know, we signed him for around 40 million, 40 million euros, five-year deal. He will earn just under 6 million a season um, but there's no buyback clause which Madrid tends to do with its, with its youth products um, and he's, he fits directly into uh, the wing back heavy style of play that uh, Antonio Conte employs you know he'll play right wing back for us he's only 21 years old um, you know looking at his statistics beyond even his style of play you know he was able to contribute to 19 goals for Borussia Dortmund last season, uh, including four goals scored in the Champions League, five scored in the Bundesliga, um, you know, and ten goals uh, and ten assists, excuse me, um, you know, in all competitions as well, which adds up to 19. For a right back or a right wing back, that is incredible form. Um, this is why he's already gone and such a reputation. And for us to have signed him, you know, for such a long on such a long-term deal. Uh, makes me very excited and also allows us to develop him to become maybe the best in the world hopefully in a year or two's time um, and with under a coach like Antonio Conte there isn't much to say other than the sky's the limit because already we played our first friendly today and he was storming up and down that right wing you know he is already one of the fastest players active players out there um, so we'll be able to take advantage of his attributes on the ball because he's great at cutting in, he's great at dribbling, he's great at crossing, he's great at, he has good shooting ability, but also on the counter-attack, um, which is where a lot of Conte teams tend to thrive. Um, so he's able to play well on both sides of the ball and allows us to be even more flexible than before. And he can also play as a left wing back. And if times are desperate, he can play as a winger, you know, so he's the sort of player that every club would love to have. And much like his competition for the best in the world, 
you know, has, has a multifaceted game and that can't just be held to just the right wing back spot. Um, going further than that, Mkhatla, I have to say that Inter have done really well in the transfer season. I mean, the last two years, Inter have been able to step up and buy um, and purchase top players, you know, or players that definitely improve their team. And the signing of Arturo Vidal um, for free is a huge deal for us. Yes, there are some who will say he's a little bit older than than his, you know, than his prime or he's a little bit beyond over the hill. But this is a player who is Barcelona's top scoring midfielder, um, you know, last season, um, and he made himself a mainstay in the side uh, alongside Luis Suarez and uh, Lionel Messi, and the quality of his output hasn't actually dropped no matter where he's gone from Juventus to Bayern to Barcelona now to Inter other than his age and the fact that he will not sign a long-term deal I see nothing wrong with this deal in fact he is an upgrade to what is on our current roster um, we've been able to take advantage of the fact that we have a very 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 solid management team similar to Bayern Munich where we've been able to sign players like Ericsson um, and Arturo Vidal for a grand total of 20 million euros. These are players who at their peak and at their prime cost at least three to five times that amount, depending on what you're looking at. Um, so, um, you know, we do have already, with the signing of Vidal, maybe the strongest midfield cohort in the Serie A and maybe the, one of the top five or so cohorts in, the, in, the, in European football, you know, with Sensi, with Barilla, with uh, Brozovic, whose future is up, up for questioning, um, you know, with uh, Christian Eriksen, of course, and of course with um, uh, with Arturo Vidal. Those are five incredible midfielders, and of course, not to mention Raja Langolan, who's fighting for his future as a player who also contributed more than ten goals and assists across the board um, in for Cagliari last season and a year ago was thought of as still one of the best midfielders in the world. So if we can find a way to include them all in Conte's high high pressure system and you know heavy heavy physical heavy physical system heavily physical system there's, there's a lot to go by that we can be very very proud of and uh, optimistic for i agree i i think you know it's not just the transfers and type of players that you mentioned but the way in which inter milan have gone about their business that's what makes them a winner and you know we mentioned players like Christian Eriksen um, and, you know, hopefully Arturo Vidal. But Alexis Sanchez is another example of just great business um, by Inter Milan. You know, he's mustered up huge transfer fees for, you know, Manchester United and Barcelona in the past. And um, he's now coming back to his best form again and making Inter Milan an incredibly, incredibly competitive team. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Europe must watch out. They're going to see a very, very strong Inter Milan squad this season. Also, man, one more thing before I carry on, before we move to our losers. The simple fact that last season, Inter's biggest downfall beyond our you know, issues in terms of conceding goals at dumb times was the fact that we didn't have quality depth to bring on. Now we do. Um, and with these signings, even more so. Um, you know, they can, and we haven't lost any of our, our key players. In fact, our, play, our key players like Lautaro, like Milan Skriniar, etc. They want to stay and want to continue to assist the team. So it would be wrong of me to say that we are favourites for the league because, yes, we do have the most established coach and 
maybe the deepest roster beyond Juventus. But um, if there is a time for us to win the league, it's now, especially with your club's appointment of uh, Andrea Pirlo. Agreed, man. I think it's going to be a great season for Inter. And if it's any better than, you know, coming second by one point, <laughs> it, it would be hard not to see them win the league. Um, I think both clubs will probably still have something to say in the transfer season in the next 10 to 14 days. Um, but yeah, let's, let's, let's see what happens. And they are a bona fide winner in this, uh, in this transfer season so far. What about the losers? Yeah, man, the losers. Where should we even start with this? Because people tend to. Get it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, I think, I think for me, probably it's safe to start with. Uh, we, we've spoken about clubs, but maybe we we, we, we can start with uh, the French league <laughs> as a, as a whole. Um, I think their their poor transfer season, if we call them the losers of the transfer season. Um, their poor transfer season started last season where you know, administratively and understandably so they decided not to continue with uh, their league but economically it's definitely had an effect on, on league earn. Um, you know, we're also seeing PSG clutching at straws and still recovering psychologically from um, losing the Champions League where you know they considered themselves to be definite ones or favourites with the likes of Neymar and Mbappe but economically I'm, 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 I'm concerned for, for Liga um, it's, it's, it's not it's not looking good from a commercial standpoint and I haven't seen similar to Spain in some accounts I haven't seen you know the league find itself muscle its way into a new football. Um, Olympic Lyonnais are probably going to lose Memphis Depay at this season. Uh, if he stays, great. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that the quality of football is actually going to decline further than it did before uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, I have to agree, man. I think shutting up shop and not playing any football really hurt a lot of the clubs who had an opportunity to qualify for European competition. I mean, Lyon is a great example. Um, you know, closing the league and saying that where you where we finish is where you finish means that Lyon didn't have the chance to, you know, recover their season and try and finish in the Champions League place, let alone a Europa League place, which means that now they are indeed forced to sell one or two of their best players. Uh, PSG, this is a club that with the huge outlay that they've you know, put forward towards uh, Mauro Icardi and of course beyond that even uh, Mbappe and Neymar they have to maintain uh, their stranglehold in the league but for the rest of the league it's difficult for them to or for many other of the other 19 clubs you know to um, to invest as much as they would like to and especially in, a, in an environment like this where qualifying for Europe is so 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 important um, and even even historically great clubs like Marseille have done nothing but loan deals um, you know to try and improve their team in any way that they can and it's it's quite distressing actually as you say for the quality of the league not to say that the quality is is low but you know shutting up shops so early really 
you know, uh, tied things up for many of the, 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 the clubs that had certain ambition. You know, a club like Ren that is that has qualified for the Champions League um, would surely would like to do a bit more than what they've than what they've done so far. Um, uh, a club like PSG would also appreciate a bit more competition, you know, um, in order to, to, to chase to chase their umpteenth league title in a row. Um, you know, unlike you know the Serie A or the Bundesliga, where we tend to have serial winners, perennial winners. Um, league One is a league where the competitors so far have done very, very little to to challenge that. Of course, their hands have been tied by the French FA. So, just seeing that is quite it's quite disconcerting. Agreed. Yeah. So I think they're a clear loser. <laughs> um, it's 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 sad to, to call them a loser, but it's sort of almost self-destruction yeah. um, and possibly bad, you know, football administration from the organisational standpoint of the league. Correct. Um, yeah. Maybe we should move on to the next loser. Unless you've got any other comments about no, the next, but uh, the next the next loser we go to La Liga. Um, we're going to talk about sure. Valencia, a historically great club. Um, you know, great club. I mean, just a just a classic European football name, Valencia. Indeed, indeed. I mean, it was a club that made the Champions League final two years in a row between 2000 and 2001, and mm-hmm. um, you know has hosted amazing amazing names at the Mestalla from from Pablo Aymar to Vicente. Mm-hmm. Um, to David Silva, Juan Mata, David Villa, Mata. Mm. Um, and today, you know, this is a club that, with under the ownership of Peter Lim, has seen itself turn over managers at, at an incredible rate. You know, there's many adjectives I can find, but incredible is only only one I can use right now. Um, <laughs> we've seen Albert Celades, Gary Neville, Marcelinho, who was fired despite winning the Copa del Rey and qualifying fourth for the Champions League. In the 2018-19 season, um, but the club now is having not qualified for any European competition. Is a it's a club that's business whose business model totally relies on making the Champions League every single season um, for to be able to pay back you know the debts of uh, rebuilding the Mestalla Stadium, and not doing that has seen Valencia lose its club captain Dani Parejo on a free to fellow Champions League place contenders Villarreal lose Ferran Torres at a cut price deal 25 million euros um, to Manchester City uh, maybe Ferran Torres maybe their most you know their jewel in terms of their, their young players um, mm. Francis Coquelin the ex-Arsenal player also to, to Villarreal Rodrigo the starting striker for Spain um, has left to, to lead United Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds United for 30 million pounds you know, um, these are players who a year ago each would have all would have garnered a transfer fee of at least 1.5 times that amount if not double um, and to have to sell them and not be able to bring anybody in it's very very sad for a club of that stature you know. um, and yeah you know you can only hope that they can qualify for the Champions League again but you know, such as the competition in Spain for the top or for third and fourth place first and second and even third place almost guaranteed by uh, Atletico, Real Madrid and uh, Barcelona. You know, they have a lot to to do to be able to get that fourth spot and not not be forced to dismantle their team even further in the next 12 months. 
Yeah, I agree. I think Valencia are the kind of club who historically have got a reputation to maintain. And like you say, you know, in the not so distant past, they've they've been a contender in the UEFA Champions League. But, you know, if you look at a coach like Javi Garcia, he's also up against it um, from the club's administration. You've, you've mentioned incredible players who have, have left the club and that they've not managed to, to hold on to and maintain. But uh, I don't think Valencia will, will reach the top four this season. Um, I think they're worse off now than they were um, a year ago. And uh, a definite loser in my book. Uh, I, I, I don't see them may, uh, spending any money in the transfer season, this transfer window either. So, um, a loser in my book. Yeah, man. Uh, final loser. <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. has to be FC Barcelona mm-hmm. um, you know seeing the club you know completely cap- capitulate on the field at least um, against Bayern Munich and you know lose the La Liga title in very limp fashion um, the last few match days you know knowing all that has gone around gone on at the club be- behind closed doors um, it's quite predictable but seeing it happen in real time was still quite shocking, wouldn't you say? I agree. I, I completely agree. And, you know, one of the things that we were going to discuss or close off as a discussion in this in this episode was going to be the drama around Lionel Messi and the way in which between him and the board of Barcelona have handled one another. And uh, I think we can have this conversation you know the, the the messy drama conversation in tandem with Barcelona being, you know, a loser in the transfer window. Um, just with regards to transfers alone, uh, you know, Ronald Koeman came in, and we, we we've just found a very very different uh, Barcelona club. Obviously, after that eight two loss against Bayern Munich, they have made a decision that they want to you know uh, reload and regenerate the team. But, you know, the most important player in world football has gone to the public and basically said that he's uh, he's only staying because he has a gun to his head or uh, a gun in the form of a 700 million euro release clause. But, you know, the club have not taken a position. And um, we've heard more from Lionel Messi's father in, 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 in the time where the club should have done the talking. But in other transfers, of course... You know, they managed to bring in Miralem Pjanic from, uh, from Juventus in, in a, almost a straight swap with uh, 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 Artur Melo. A very young, uh, 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 hard-nosed midfield thinker who I think in the two seasons at Barcelona was considered to be, you know, a very inexpensive and very, very quality replacement from the likes of and Iniesta and at the risk of you know sounding like I'm saying he, he was as good no but Barcelona have spent an incredible amount of money on known and and, and, and uh, prime players uh, like Anton Griezmann and they've not gotten the return on their investment but they've now put themselves in a situation where they the look and feel of the club is tainted largely because of Lionel Messi but also because you don't really know what direction 
the club is planning on going. You mentioned Memphis Depay earlier, and uh, one of the board of directors of Barcelona this morning said that they're looking for a striker, which means that you know Luis Suarez's career at, at Barcelona is almost certainly up. But who's going to replace Luis Suarez? Are you telling me that Memphis Depay is going to be you know that kind of player? Um, are they going to? try and move Antoine Griezmann into the number nine position. I just don't see a fluid FC Barcelona that we've come to know over the years. And uh, I don't know if it means that their their dominance is, is, is going to be uh, put into, into disrepute. I have to agree, man. Uh, you know, you discussed Antoine Griezmann. Just looking at the dichotomy between them and the team that vanquished them in the Champions League, Bayern Munich. I mean, Bayern Munich as a club, on the fit, on the pitch at least, you know, we saw uh, a, a club and a, a team that did not necessarily have a, a huge backing in terms of transfer fee, but everybody was running in the same direction. At Barcelona, from top to bottom, on the pitch, off the pitch, in the boardroom level, the club has, honestly, there's been no other word for it, has been a shambles. Um, and it's quite sad when your 120 million euro player, Philippe Coutinho, scores the seventh and eighth goal against you. Um, what does that even say, you know? Um, <laughs> that is just a... Oh, an embarrassing state of affairs. You had the other 120 million euro player, Anton Griezmann, uh, didn't even start that game, and of course was never going to start because he, you know, the club or the playing staff had lost faith in his ability to gel um, at, at a critical time, you know, in the club season. And even worse, you know, young Usman Dembele, who's only 23, um, was bought for 105 million euros, and we still are waiting for, for. You know, for his consecration as a Barcelona player. Uh, beyond that, you know, we have top top players. You know, like Arturo Vidal, um, like uh, Ivan Rakitic, who's gone to Sevilla on uh, absolutely for an absolute steal, 1.5 million euros. Um, we have Arturo Vidal, who's about to sign for Inter for again a minuscule amount, if not a nominal fee. Um, and beyond that, we have a lot of veterans who are, you know. You know, above 31, above 32, and on long and massive contract. You know, um, you know, Luis Suarez is one of them whose contract ends next year. Uh, Gerard Piquet also ends in two years. Busquets three years time. Um, you know, there's no way around that other than you know to either hope that they perform or get them out as soon as possible because Barcelona does possess the fattest wage budget in the world, and it's not just because of. Lionel Messi, of course, he's a huge contributor to that. But beyond that, if the other, if his supporting cast have you know similar level wages, you know, for their stature in the game, I mean, and they are not able to galvanize the team, um, and if the the management at boardroom level and at at at, a man, at management level, you know, aren't able to row in the same direction, you know, you've had Eric Abidal, you know resign as director of sport you know you've had a lot of fans and even maybe players whisper if not call for the resignation of the, the president um, Bartomeu um, and of course you've had three coaches in less than 12 months you know um, one of one of whom was fired you know not really having 
had the team underperform. They just weren't performing at peak level. The second of them, when Kike Setian, you know, the writing was on the wall the minute he arrived because such a massive task to unite a, a dressing room which is at war with its with its uh, with its management. You know, at mid-season with massive targets like a Champions League to win, like a La Liga to win against the very, very, very well-oiled uh, Real Madrid side. Um, so, you know, this is just the culmination of two to four years of, I could say, mismanagement um, of a very, very hallowed and esteemed football institution. Um, and, you know, it's very, it's touch and go as to what we will see in the coming 2020-21 season. I mean, Lionel Messi has literally said, I will be here for one more season. Um, and beyond that, will Pjanic be able to raise the quality of the team? Will the veterans be able to push for one one last you know one last dance you know and will the youngsters coming into the side from Frankie de Jong to Ricky Puig will they be able to step up such that they can allow Barca to compete with the Man Cities and the Bayern Munich of this of the of this world you know I personally do not think so I think this might be a tough season for Barcelona yeah look I mean I don't think we will see Barcelona not coming in to the top two um, in the foreseeable future but I, I completely agree with you just from you know how they've handled uh, you know prime players and how they have dealt with you know younger players and it's going to be a very interesting season and we are now at a, at a place where FC Barcelona their best players are you know reaching their, their early to mid-30s as you've mentioned um, and some of the players that they would have wanted to rely on most have left the club uh, you know Rakitic, Vidal but um, it's definitely going to be a new Barcelona and you know if Messi stays for another season it's 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 going to you know I don't think he's going to play at any less of a productive value that we've come to know to play but it's definitely tainted the, the the look and feel of the club, um, and I wonder how that's going to affect the players. What are your thoughts on um, this whole saga with, with Lionel Messi? If we if we look at him individually rather than you know as as a as a as a problem from all the other players in the club and the club itself, um, what would you do if, if if you were his age? Do you think? Uh, what he, he said to the public was right um, should he have kept his mouth shut was he up against the wall um, yeah what's your your view I have to be honest I always thought Messi would would leave uh, you know next season at the end of his contract um, so for him to decide to walk away or want or signal his intention to walk away a, a year early was quite surprising to me but macrocosmically I think it was very unsurprising because this is a player who thrives on victory you know his detractors always talk about the fact that he has not you know performed or not performed he hasn't uh, won anything for, for Argentina with Argentina but for Barcelona Messi and winning are quintessentially the same and you look at the club's record since he became you know their 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 primary player or their star player, and um, after the Ronaldinho era, 
this is a player who needs to be in and amongst the best and talked about in and amongst the best and he can't just do it on an individual level so it's unsurprising to me that he has seen this intention to leave what is surprising is that it's a year early and where the club has been going for the last two years as I've mentioned before I don't think it's I, I don't think he is out of his rights to to have seen those intentions to leave because a player like him deserves the best but also deserves to be treated in a very transparent manner um, and also cannot be linked to a scattergun system which is what Barcelona have, have employed basically in the last two to three years basically throwing money at a wall and hoping that it sticks um, you know with the signings of Griezmann the signing of Coutinho a good example of that but also the way they've handled the structure of the club beyond that um, has been has left a lot to to ask for you I mean this is a Barca team that only had 14 um, first team players available for their for their Champions League run which is honestly quite insane um, at any level so I, I I am only surprised that Messi decided to stay yes there was a deal with Manchester City that had been you know mooted and honestly I thought it was a done deal considering what's available at Man City resource wise and of course on a football level um, you know they do have one of the best rosters in the world of course a coach Messi knows all too well um, and even the backroom and management staff that Messi knows very very well from Guardiola's time at Barcelona so yeah, I think he was well within his rights to to leave, but I think he also didn't want to to leave Barcelona in what would have been toxic terms. You know, having left, showing your anger with the club, showing your anger with the club management, because I think the fans of Barcelona they deserve a bit better in terms of you know if Messi was to leave, he must leave in a way that honors them, and doing so now would would have been the total opposite. So I respect his decision and. The reasons he gave as well were very, very heartfelt, you know, in terms of his family and in terms of the club itself, not necessarily because Messi doesn't have a problem with Barcelona, FC Barcelona. He has a problem with those running the club. You know, he always loved, mm. loved FC Barcelona. So, um, No, definitely. I, I think that's the best point that you've made. It's not a Barcelona issue. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's a, it's a, it's a human issue. And um, I mean, Lionel Messi has been at the club since 2003 and I mean giving 17 years to the club and still being one of the top two players in the world um, I think Barcelona probably should have handled the situation a lot better and when I say Barcelona like you quite rightly say you know it's the individuals who had the decision to make um, he's played under some of the best coaches we've seen and Guardiola and Luis Enrique he's won the trebles uh, we can't even go into detail about the kind of player that Lionel Messi is will be here another hour but the reality is he has given Barcelona everything and he's given everything of himself to the club and uh, to see him you know announce that he's going to stay for one more reason or for one more season because of these reasons is embarrassing uh, you want to have a Lionel Messi say you know I'm, I'm, I'm getting on I want to see other players you know take the mantle um, you know and therefore I'm going to stay one more season you don't you don't want to see a player say he's going to stay one more season because he's because he has to um, it's, it's yeah. embarrassing 
if you have a gun to your head you just have to do it it's not fair on everyone yeah, yeah. everybody loses even in spite of the fact that he gets to stay or that he's decided to stay mm-hmm. yeah well yeah i mean unless there's anything else brother that uh, i think brings us to <laughs> wonderful close of this uh, episode 6 of our game uh it was nice getting back into the flow of things after such a long time out and we thank the listeners for always being there for us and um you know holding on and waiting for the next episode thank you guys for the long episode we know it's been long um we're confident that it's been enjoyable and there's a lot to discuss during and after as well um so we'll catch you again for episode 7 definitely man look after yourself and thanks again for today bless up cheers